Father God, uh, we thank you that we can gather together and worship you and just be reminded in song and reminded in confession, reminded that, God, we have a relationship with you. And, and so when we gather like this with others, you are right here in our midst. And we would ask you to speak to us and grow us up, make us more like your son Jesus, our Savior. And uh, would you teach us now, help us to listen and engage with your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a series uh, where we've been studying the Ten Commandments, and we've noted a number of times already that the first four of these commandments are different than the last six. The first four talk to us, of course, about relating to God. Uh, making him our number one priority, for example, would be the first commandment. Honoring him, his name, would be the second. Worshiping him alone, no idols, would be the third. Uh, setting aside a day in which we, we do this, we, we connect with God. We focus on our relationship with God. That would be commandment number four. And then the following six commandments tell us how God actually wants us to love our neighbors. That's what the last six commandments are all about. It's interesting to me uh, when I think about this that, that I can't actually love God without loving my neighbor. The two are inextricably connected. Uh, without honoring my mom and dad, for example, uh, I'm not honoring God. Without recognizing other people's dignity, that was the commandment on uh, murder. Uh, without seeing the image of God in them, I'm not actually honoring God. Without making promises and keeping boundaries, that was the commandment on Mother's Day, adultery. Uh, I'll never live that down. Um, but the, uh, we're not actually honoring God if we're not making those kind of promises and engaging uh, in those kinds of boundaries. We're not respecting other people's property either. Um, we're, we're not honoring God if we're not respecting other people's property as well. And that's the Eighth Commandment. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. The commandment that says, you shall not steal. Now, like all the other commandments, as we dive into these, we have come to realize that there are some pretty far-reaching implications with these commandments. Uh, there's a lot more than just meets the eye, at least initially. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a Protestant catechism, uh, a teaching tool actually, written in the mid-1500s. Uh, it's a tool that uh, was to help Christians just kind of grow in their faith, understand what the Bible teaches and so. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism uses a question and answer format, and in question 110, it's about this commandment. The question is, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? And what we're going to be doing is we're going to talk about what God forbids, but then a little later we're going to actually talk about, but what does God require? Not just what does he forbid, but what does he require? Well, this question is, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids, it says, not only outright theft and robbery, that's real obvious, which of course are punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming, and swindling, you know, trying to get something out of people in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, you know, making, hey, here's a potion, I want to sell this to you, this will grow hair, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, counterfeit money, excessive interest, charging excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. 
That's a lot of forbidding right there. There's a lot of ground covered right there. You shall not steal goes in a lot of different directions. Now, I just wonder, just curious, a raise of hands here on this. How many of you have ever had money or property, a wallet, maybe a car, or maybe your home has been broken into and things were taken out of your home? How many of you have ever experienced theft on, the, on that receiving end of it? Okay, quite a number. That was the same in the, in the first service. Do you, do you recall how that made you feel? Probably angry, you know, a little bit of disbelief. Wow, how could that happen? Uh, maybe you felt personally violated. That often is the case if somebody enters your property to take things from you, maybe even fearful as a result. Uh, all of us are offended by the idea that someone would violate our personal property rights. And when that happens, kind of understandably so, rightly so, what we want is justice. We want the criminal caught and, you know, we want them convicted and we want them to pay for the crime. Now, there's an irony to this because ironically, when it comes to other people's stuff, we tend to have kind of a different attitude. We tend to kind of sort of maybe feel, you know, whether it's out of envy or out of jealousy or maybe it's just plain out of greed, we feel somewhat entitled to things that belong to others. You know, you got some really nice cars. I should have those cars. You probably didn't, probably somebody gave you those cars or somebody helped you get a leg up, which, which gave you those cars. And you don't fully, wholly deserve those cars, but I do. We kind of have attitudes, feelings, uh, thoughts like that, that things that are not ours, things that we didn't earn, uh, we might be uh, slightly entitled to them. Uh, This comes out uh, sometimes Uh, We see this in ourselves when we go to places of work and, you know, we're okay with taking, you know, it's just a ream of paper. Uh, It's, it's, I'm going to take all the, uh, you know, I'm going to take all the paper clips, you know, or it's little things, but we feel entitled to take things that don't actually belong to us. Where we see this kind of um, quite a lot today is with regards to government and government assistance. There's a big debate about this in the public eye, uh, even as we speak. Welfare I certainly goes, I think, without question that we need some welfare to take care of people that have legitimate needs. Uh, but the question is, you know, is that uh, are those needs always legitimate? Are we doing too much? Are we enabling? All of those kinds of questions. You know, if you go and Google, how can I get money from the government? Just put that in and hit send. Uh, you will come up with a lot of hits. And one of the hits at the very top is this, six ways to get free money from the government. So it's, it, the information is just out there. You want money for food? Okay, that'll tell you how to get it. Uh, you want money for because you're unemployed? That'll tell you how to get money and keep getting it. Uh, you want money for child care? You want money to pay back uh, college loans and that type of thing? There's a, a lot of thinking out there around how to get more from the government. And oftentimes it's even put out there with the idea of, you know, I need to get my fair share. I'm owed this. One of the big debates is, uh, is our welfare system creating a, a condition where it's actually just more profitable not to work, you know, but just to receive. And then the debate is, is that legitimate? Is that stealing? Good debate. We're not going to go there this morning. The Eighth Commandment, though, makes it very clear that God is offended by theft when we are thieving or stealing, regardless of the means of theft. 
uh, whether it's scheming or swindling and very therefore deliberate, uh, whether it's welfare that you don't deserve or don't actually need, but you're taking it anyway, whether it's inaccurate weights or measurements, whether it's fraudulent merchandising, making claims that are just not true. You know, I'll tell you something. I hate to admit this, kind of embarrassing, but some of you have seen on the internet, there's this thing, of, it's a monocular that's being advertised everywhere. And man, it show, it's got unbelievable, unbelievable ability to like lock in a mile away and pull it up close. And I watched this and I saw this and I was so impressed with it. And with all the ads around it, I bought one. It was only 50 bucks. Now I say only because that should, if it did what it said it was gonna do, it would be hundreds and hundreds of dollars, I thought. And so it came in the mail and I got it out and I'm, I'm looking through it. And friends, this thing is crap. I mean, it, I, it's so, it's just a piece of junk. I, it was fraudulently marketed, I promise you. Anybody seen that ad? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, few. did anybody else buy one? No, just me. Oh, there we go. Okay, boom. Yeah, that's embarrassing. I'm not usually taken in by things like that, but I, I was. Fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest. You know, the means doesn't really matter. All of it is stealing. All of it is stealing. Now, by implication, the Eighth Commandment makes it clear that there is nothing wrong on the other end of things of having or owning personal property. You know, there have been at times claims made that with uh, regards to Christians, Christians should hold all things in common, not have any personal property. And those arguments, quite frankly, are, are, are silly and uh, they're vacuous. There's, there's no real substance to them because when you open your Bible and you read it, uh, it's all about owning personal property and doing something wise with it. You may remember when uh, Israel came into the promised land, one of the things that God actually commanded and God actually did was make sure that every family was given property, property to live on, property to use, property uh, upon which they could prosper if they used it well. It's interesting, the Bible encourages all of us to actually work hard, to earn a living, uh, to use our profits for our good, for our provision, but here's the catch, also always for the good of others. And we're going to see this over and over. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And what Paul, as he's filled with the Spirit and moved by the Spirit to write, what he's saying is he is, he is commending and he is commanding diligent labor. Labor to provide first and foremost for oneself, put food on the table, those kinds of things, but also labor for the purpose of assisting others who have legitimate needs. That's always, always, always important when we enter into a discussion about things, about our stuff. More of that in a minute. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this before. The Bible does not encourage shortcuts for acquiring personal property. Uh, that would be like gambling. Last Thanksgiving had uh, some guests uh, with whom we were having Thanksgiving dinner. And there was a young man there and I was just getting to know him and asked him what he did. And he, he shared with us that, he was a professional gambler. And I just had to ask, you know, how's that going? <laughs> What's, what does that look like? And, you know, he proceeded to share, well, you know, he's, he's really at times made some good money. But the more I asked questions and drug it out of him, the more apparent it became. And it was kind of a, you know, you win some, you lose some. And I'm just thinking, yeah, and the older you get, the more you're going to lose. 
You know, that's not the way the Bible would recommend we go about putting food on the table, providing for ourselves, let alone sharing with others and, and helping others. Um, the Bible says work, work diligently, work hard, stick to it. The fourth commandment, which we've already studied, says six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day you rest, you do this, you connect with God. But six out of seven days you work. So regardless what you do, whether you're a tradesman, whether you're a, a salesman, a manufacturer, a nurse, a, a doctor, an engineer, a teacher, banker, pastor, doesn't matter what you do. That's not the significant thing. The significant thing is what you do. Work hard doing it. Earn, save, and do so so you can impact other people, so you can love your neighbors, so you can help others. And you do all of this as you walk with God. And when you live life that way, friends, that is honoring God. This is what a disciple of Jesus does. That's actually the picture of Psalm 128. There we read, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. In other words, who walks with God, who's doing life with God, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. You see, under God, with God, you sow, you reap, you labor, you make purchases, you acquire possessions, and you are blessed by God. You've worked hard and honestly, and God has prospered you. You've purchased things that you need. You've purchased some things you want. You've purchased some things to enjoy, and you've used your things as well to bless others. And in doing all of those things, you are blessed. Life is good. God is good. Life is satisfying. And we are therefore grateful. What I've just described is actually the basic dynamic of life. It's how things work in most places at most times. Obviously, there are exceptions. Many of you, though, you can attest to the fact that you put your hand to the plow, so to speak, and you've worked hard and it bore fruit and you've earned a good income and God blessed you in that process. It's a sense of fulfillment that comes from providing for and caring for yourself or your family and having the means or the wherewithal to help others around you when they need it. There's a real, real sense of satisfaction in that. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 2 says, there is nothing better, hear that, nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil, in his labor. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. So, whether you even know it or not, it is a gift of God if, if you have a job and you get to enjoy it and it meets your needs and it even creates surplus for you out of which to operate. All of that is a gift and a blessing from God. And I bet some of you can remember uh, times when you worked hard and you made a significant purchase for the first time. I, Holly and I bought uh, the first home we ever owned in Boca Raton, Florida. And, you know, we put a lot of sweat equity into it and so on. It was the biggest thing by far we had ever purchased up to that time. And there were others who were gracious. Uh, Holly's grandparents who actually helped us put a down payment on a house that without which uh, we probably couldn't have. God was gracious. They were gracious. We just loved getting in that home and getting to remodel. It was a great purchase. I remember the first car I ever purchased, a 1963 Plymouth Valiant slant six engine. 
It was a beigeish, white, uh, colored automobile. Paid six hundred dollars for it in 1969. I earned the money. I saved the money. I bought the car. I got the insurance. I was super duper proud of that car. Now, I remember the first day I drove it to school, there was a kid there whose dad owned a Ford dealership, and he drove a brand new Boss 302 Mustang. And that guy made fun of my car. Uh, He nicknamed my car, and it was a nickname that stuck. Uh, He called it Moby Dick at first, but later on it just became known as the Whale, the White Whale. Didn't matter to me. I got a Mercedes-Benz hood ornament and put it on it and (laughs) drove it around with a great deal of pride. It had one of those, uh, you know, the, the transmission was a little lever that you, pu- you raised up and you pushed a button on it. So, boom, 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 you know, if you wanted to. I digress. It has nothing to do with messaging. Point is this. Many of you know firsthand the satisfaction and the joy that comes with working and saving to buy the things you need and to even buy some things that you enjoy. And you also know the joy of using some of your things to be a blessing to others. Some of you give consistently to the benevolence offering when we take it on a Sunday where we're taking communion together. And those gifts go directly to helping people that have a whole variety of kinds of needs. And it blesses those individuals and those families. Uh, Some of you just give consistently to the church or you support Christian ministry and you have seen God use what you have given to accomplish things that you know matter to God. Things God means to and wants to accomplish. And the point is this, hard work, honest labor are commended, even commanded by God. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. You remember this story? And he commends uh, the two servants who traded with their hands, right? Uh, They uh, did some investing or uh, some lending. They made some honest deals, some good deals. And Jesus commended them for what they did with what was given to them. But you remember also the third servant that Jesus condemns because the third servant did absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Didn't even put money in the bank to earn interest. He just buried it in the ground. And when the master came back, here, here's the money you gave me. And the master in Jesus' story says this to that servant. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. That's actually a quote. That's what the servant had said about the master. When I read this story, the way I understand it is that that's that's the way the servant viewed the master. However, that was wrong. That's not really what this master was like. But that's how that servant saw him. And because he saw him that way, he made no effort whatsoever to make good use of the talents that he was given. And so the master says, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And part of the point is just this of that parable. That is that you better do something with what God gives you. So whether we're talking about your skills or whether we're talking about your talents and abilities or whether we're talking about your resources, you better do something with them to make a difference. You better do something with them to prosper. You better do something with them to help others. Doing so honors God. Not doing so doesn't. Crystal clear. 
Now, of course, there's a fly in the ointment in all this, this conversation we're having about stuff and possessions, and the fly in the ointment is sin. And when it comes to this area, it's got all kinds of names, graft, you know, greed. Uh, Sin is a huge problem. Fallen human beings are very broken when it comes to money and stuff. We're very broken. Have you ever noticed that people rarely believe they ever have enough? If you ask people, do you have enough? They'll always say something along the lines of, you know, I'd, I'd probably have enough if I had just a little bit more. And that's kind of where we live. Enough is always just a little more than I currently have. There's this drive in us. And I would say it's a sinful drive. It's part of how sin affects us. Uh, This sinful drive for more uh, that, that leads us to steal. You know, and this sinful drive leads us to believe that more is what I need. Just a little more, not a lot more, but just a little more. But no matter what more you have, you need more. And that is there because of this problem of sin. And because of this problem of sin, what happens is very often it leads us to steal in one way or another. We want to find some easier ways to get more, some easier ways to get ahead. Maybe I can get ahead by getting or taking what you have without getting caught. And this is why God has given us the eighth commandment. It's for our good. It's because our God wants us to flourish. And, and he wants to speak into this problem of greed that we all have. Because while hard work and labor are good and while providing for the family is good and while helping others who have needs, uh, that's a good thing to do. The Bible also warns us very clearly about getting carried away with acquiring, getting more stuff, always needing and always Wanting more. Jesus said, and these words I know you're familiar with, they're famous words. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will it profit him? You see, uh, there's more to life than getting stuff, than the acquisition of more and more and more personal property. And if that's your primary driving force behind why you work, if that's your primary driving force behind why you save or why you invest or why you build, you will one day discover the very thing that King Solomon discovered when he described his life. King Solomon wrote these words. He said, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I perceive that the same event happens to all men. 
For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. You know, when we make the sum total of our lives personal satisfaction, I'm going to make my life about me. When we make the sum total of our lives about personal fulfillment or personal uh, comfort or personal pleasure, uh, hear me now, no amount of money, no amount of accomplishment, no amount of luxury, no amount of fame, no amount of pleasure will ever satisfy us because our purpose for living is just way too small. I am not made to live just for me. My satisfaction, my fulfillment, my, my joy, my comfort, my glory. I'm actually made to live for the glory, the good, the honor of God. And by I am made to love and serve others. And when I do that, I am glorifying him. Now, when I do less than that, here's the deal. I'm actually robbing God. And when you rob God, your life will be little. You will have little purpose and little meaning and little significance. And this is why Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven rather than here on earth. Now, how do I lay up treasure in heaven? I'm glad you asked. It's not very complicated, actually. You lay up treasure in heaven by working hard as if working for God. You provide for yourself. You provide for your family. You extend yourself to the poor and you share your possessions with others. In fact, Proverbs 19, uh, this is a very interesting observation made by a wise individual. Uh, Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Imagine that. You're making a loan to God when you do that. And he, God, will repay him for his deed. It's just part of what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be. And also there's this other component piece that when you seek first the kingdom and, and its righteousness, there's a disciple making component to that. As we, you know, listen to our savior, Jesus, the thing he tells us all to do as individuals and collectively is to go and make disciples. That's a component piece of who we are and what we do with the stuff we have. Uh, here at Deer Creek, we talk all the time about disciple making in the form of reaching up. We believe we're making disciples when we gather like this and worship together and study together and learn together and hear from God together. We believe we're making disciples when we reach in and get involved in each other's lives. If I had been involved with you in a small group, one of you could have said, Dwayne, I wouldn't buy the monocular if I were you. Point, silly point, but you know, when we engage in each other's lives, we actually help each other be wise, be more like Jesus. We reach up, we reach in, we reach out. Reaching out is all about taking your time, your talents, your skills, your abilities, and your resources and figuring out how God wants you to meaningfully serve others. That is laying up treasure in heaven, reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. We don't want to be senseless. 
We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be like Solomon, get to the end of our days and say, man, it's all just vanity. Yes, I built this. Yes, I accomplished this. Yes, I'm more wealthy than anyone around me, but it's all just vanity. The Apostle Paul gave a similar warning when writing to Timothy. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, it's the place to be. It's how to live. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich and by desire to be rich, he's not talking about wanting to put food on the table, wanting to lay lay aside for the future. He's talking about the, the person who's saying, I just need more. I just need more. I just need some more, some more and I'll be happy. That's the person he's talking to. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. They end up breaking the eighth commandment. They end up going after things in ways that lead to personal destruction. You know, I think I'll cut this corner because I might get ahead by doing so. Uh, I think I'll do this shady deal because I might get more, more of what I want, more of what I need. Uh, I think I'll go after this get rich quick scheme. I'm going to buy the lotto ticket. And God, if, if you let me win, if you just give me the winning numbers, God, I'll give some percent of it to the church. Yeah, God's not fooled by that. You know, when we live that way, act that way, operate that way, what we are doing is we are robbing ourselves, we are robbing others, and we are also robbing God. What we are doing is we are stealing, we are being foolish. We are falling into senseless and harmful desires, plunging ourselves into ruin and destruction. Thievery. You know, it's just interesting to me just to note that you know, one of the Jesus' most famous stories, the Good Samaritan, is actually a story about thieves who jumped a guy, left him beside the road, and then others had to make decisions with what to do with their resources, their time, their talent, their treasure. Will they help the man who's the thieves have jumped and beaten up and robbed, or will they pass by? It's all, it's all about thievery. It's all about what you do with your stuff. It's all about what you do with your time. It's probably one of Jesus' most famous stories. It's interesting to me that when Jesus was dying on the cross, who was on both sides of him? As it turns out, thieves. Thieves were on both sides of him. Barabbas, you know about this man, the the man the crowds wanted Pilate to release instead of Jesus. In John 18, we're told that Barabbas is a robber. He's a thief. The eighth commandment, like all the commandments, was given to us, you see, for our own good because we have such a problem with this thing of thievery, taking things that are not ours. The eighth commandment was given to us so that we would flourish, so that we would identify the sins of thievery and not go there and not do that. So, therefore, application. It's good to have application in a message. If you are robbing banks, stop it. If you're taking things out of grocery stores without paying for them, stop it. If you're taking supplies from the company where you work and, and you wouldn't want to get caught doing that, then you're doing something you know is wrong and you should stop it. If you cheated on your taxes, you should stop it. If you're taking answers off of someone else's test, 
you should stop it. If you're borrowing neighbor's tools and somehow they wind up in your garage and they never get taken back, you should stop that. If you're taking clothes from friends and you like the fit and the feel and they just never wind up being given back, you should stop that too. If you're taking someone else's food without asking, Holly, you should stop it. If you're taking someone else's work and you're calling it your work, you're putting your name on their work, you should stop that. If you're lying on your expense reports, if you're falsely advertising, if you're weighting the scales, if you're deliberately overcharging customers, if you're doing any of these things or anything like that, you should Stop it. You are sinning. You are breaking the eighth commandment. And when we live that way and do those things, we do so always, always to the detriment of our relationship with God, who is our heavenly father, our heavenly parent, because our heavenly father knows everything, sees everything, observes everything, and and suffers when he sees his children damaging themselves, damaging their relationships and living in ways that are not honoring and not glorifying to him. When I was in high school, before I became a follower of Jesus, uh, I got into all kinds of trouble. I've told these stories before, stealing cars and selling drugs and drinking as a minor and doing vandalism for what I thought was fun. Um, The reality was, you know, as my mother observed me, you know, I was a nice, polite uh, young man. And um, of course, my mom loved me and and she was proud of me. uh, But she had no idea I was doing these things until I got caught. And when I got caught, to tell you the truth, I was absolutely ashamed before my mom because I knew she loved me she was a single parent my father died when I was 12 and so she was working extra hard uh, to provide for us and I knew that I had embarrassed her I knew that I had not honored her I knew that I had been lying to her I knew that she was hurt and disappointed and it was in fact these very things this this very dynamic it was out of that that I ended up becoming a believer uh, embracing the gospel in part because it was very clear to me that I was broken. I was so messed up. I was sinning all over the place. I was making a ruin of my life, and I was just in high school. I knew I was going to be in lots of serious trouble if change didn't happen. The trouble was I didn't know how to make change happen. In fact, I felt very powerless to change. And then a friend told me about Jesus and gave me a Bible and said, here, read this. And I started reading the New Testament. It was all news to me. I was not familiar with hardly anything in there. But as I read, I learned that although I didn't have an earthly father, I had a heavenly father. And he knew all about me and loved me anyway. And he'd been watching me this whole time, self-destruct, making a mess out of my life, hurting the people around me. And it wasn't long after I put my 
faith in Jesus and began to grow a little bit in my faith. I'm reading my Bible and I realized that Jesus was actually calling me to repent of the kinds of behaviors I'd been participating in and he wanted me to make changes, even fix some things that I had broken by stealing. Uh, I'd been stealing stuff out of the back door of a Hague drugstore where I worked in, in Carmel, Indiana. And it was just little things like radios, stereos, records, binoculars, uh, gadgets, candy, cigarettes, liquor, you know, you name it. But I had probably over the course of several years taken several thousand dollars worth of stuff out of that store. And now I was a Christian. And I found out that my boss was a Christian. Heidelberg Catechism you know, we read question 110. There's another question that's associated with this commandment, and it's the uh, question 111, and it says, what does God require of you in the Eighth Commandment? There are certain things he wants us to stop doing in the Eighth Commandment, but there are also other things he wants us to do uh, because of the Eighth Commandment, and this is the answer. Uh, it's that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. So let's see, if you steal my stuff, what would I want you to do? Well, give it back or pay for it. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this stuff and I'm growing as a Christ follower and I'm going, dang. God does not want me withholding something from someone to whom it is rightly due. And I thought, oh man, you got to be kidding, God. God, you want me to make this right? You want me to make restitution? That was the conviction, the clear conviction I came to. Long story short, I ended up paying back damages on cars that I had stolen and damaged when I was joyriding, paying back several thousand dollars to Hague drugs for things that I had taken, and it was awful. It was God awful. It was awful good. Because I grew tremendously through doing that. I came to understand and to respect the value of other people's property because I had to pay for it. And I learned that I can't disrespect others and their stuff without first disrespecting God. You see, when I steal, that is what I'm doing. I'm disrespecting people and I'm disrespecting God, stealing affects my relationships, all of my relationships, because I'm, I'm scheming, I'm conniving, I'm lying. I'm taking things from people that are theirs that don't belong to me. And what is more, I am dishonoring God, the God who made those people, empowered those people, gave those things to those people. I'm taking those things for myself. And all of that, destroys relationships, chiefly my relationship with God, who knows all the truth about me, right? Now, here's the deal, friends. Our God, because of who he is and what he's like, he wants us to work. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to provide for ourselves, our families. He wants us to then bless others with the stuff that we have. That is why we're here. That's what my life and your life are all about. So, question you could ask this in different ways, but, but who do you follow? Who do you obey? Who do you serve? 
Here's the thing. If you're making choices to steal, then the answer that you would have to give to that question is you. You serve yourself. You obey yourself. Your life is about your pleasure, your satisfaction, your fulfillment. And friends, if that's you, if that's your answer, then I would just want to say to you, your life is too little. Your treasure is here on earth, not in heaven. And you are going to find out one day what King Solomon found out, and that is that collecting all that stuff down here It's just vanity. You will find one day that you have, as Paul said, fallen into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Friends, the heart of a true follower of Jesus desires to work and work hard for the glory of God. The heart of a true follower of Jesus desires to take the things which God has given them through their work and through their labor and do things with them that matter. Yes, put food on the table. Absolutely. Yes, save for the future. Absolutely. Yes, buy some stuff to enjoy. Yes, absolutely. But that's not the end of it all. In a way, in a fashion, it's the beginning. Laying up treasure in heaven means putting money into things that matter and matter most. So what do Christians do? What do Christ followers do? Well, they take some of what they have and uh, they put it into things that make disciples. Why that? Well, because Jesus said, go make disciples. You know, here at Deer Creek, we, we wholeheartedly believe that the best, most effective and long-lasting way to make disciples is actually by planting churches. That's what we believe. And so uh, that's where we put a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of our resources. 10% of our annual budget every year goes into church planting. That's just what we're committed to. Uh, whether that means church planting in Guatemala with the partners we have there. We, lo- we love what's going on in Guatemala and the Che Ministries there. Whether that's in India or UK, you don't know about this yet, but we've got new ministry partners who plant churches in the United Kingdom, which is a dead country spiritually, and in India. And you're going to hear a lot more about them in the fall. We're excited to tell you about them. Some really, really fun, uh, exciting folks there that are doing great things in church planting, and we're going to learn from them and hopefully they from us. Or whether we're talking about planting churches here in Denver, that's what the Watsons are here to do with us. And we're going to keep rolling out church after church after church, God willing. We're going to put 10% or more of our resources every year into disciple making via church planting. We don't have to do that. We could build, try to build a bigger building or we could make my office bigger. We could do some things like that, but what a waste of time and money that would be. Now, in the same manner, too, many of you all, I I know I'm I'm kind of preaching to the choir when I'm talking to a lot of you, because many of you here at Deer Creek, you practice the discipline that the Bible talks about, tithing, giving, that whole thing, and and you get it. I know you do. Thank you to you. Thank you that you get it. Thank you that this is a priority. This is how you honor God. This is how you show gratitude for all the things he gives you. This is how you avoid robbing God. Those of us that practice these disciplines, that's what it's about. It's about not robbing God. That's actually the language that you in the Bible. God warns his own people in Malachi 3. He says, you are robbing me. And they swallow heart. Mm, what do you mean? How are we robbing you? They ask. And he says, by withholding your tithes 
and offerings. You think that belongs to you. You think you earned that. You think you're entitled to spend that just on you and you and you and you. The biblical principle in the Old Testament and New is tithing. It's, it's giving. Jesus talks about it. It's, it's taking 10% of what we make. Um, and, you know, in the Old Testament, it was given to the temple. It was used for welfare concerns. It was used for temple upkeep. It was used for a lot of things. In the New Testament, it's money that's given to the church for the purpose of ministry. And uh, I went out on the net to get an updated uh, statistic on this. And you can believe everything on the net. But I found out that only 5% of Christians tithe. 5%. Let me say thank you to the 5% of you who tithe because you are the folks that we've come mostly through COVID in a healthy way because of the sacrificial gifts that the 5% of you give. Would the 5% who tithe please stand up? No, I'm just kidding. Just, <laughs> just kidding. But I mean, you want to know who really drives the engine of ministry and things getting done around here? It's, it's people that sacrificially give that way. I wish that percentage was larger, not because uh, we want more money to spend, but because that means 95% of you are absolutely missing out. You don't get it. You don't understand what your job is for, what your stuff is for. You don't understand the satisfaction that comes from knowing that the stuff you have, yes, it's for you, yes, it's for your needs, but it's even for something much, much bigger. And, you know, if you, when you don't understand this, you actually live life using your stuff, getting stuff, getting more stuff. And in so doing, you wind up robbing God. Taking what belongs to God and rather than giving it to him, uh, using it for yourself for whatever. Just doing more stuff, you know. A nicer car or boat or toy or vacation or clothes. None of which is wrong, by the way, when you're honoring God. But when we do that, friends... If when we live with, with us being the focus, we're robbing God, we're stealing, we're putting ourselves before God, and we're, we're living ungratefully is what we're doing. Because after all, if you think about this, God is the reason we have what we have. You may be very clever, and you may be, have amassed a lot of stuff. Good for you, good for you. Who gave you your cleverness? Who gifted you? It was God. You see, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, God is the gracious reason you have what you have. Tithing and giving are just tools that God gives us to battle things like greed that live in us, things like materialism, things like self-centeredness, things that are deeply rooted in our sinful nature. The disciplines of tithing and giving are gifts to help us not be possessed by our possessions which is a real problem in our culture. These are tools given us to help us live in the freedom of using what we have to honor God, to help others, to advance his concerns, his kingdom. You see, the eighth commandment calls us, you understand, to live very differently, have a very different attitude, a very different lifestyle regarding our material possessions. We don't get to live just like everyone outside these walls may live. And of course, the, the eighth commandment and the teaching of scripture is certainly not telling us not to have any possessions, but it does tell us to, to hold our possessions loosely. Don't think that in our possessions 
you know, that's what defines me or defines my life. It cautions us against letting our possessions tyr- tyrannize us. Letting them become so important that we would actually seize another person's property if we could get away with it. Or we would deceive another person or defraud another person. Or we would withhold helping another person if we could get away with it. Or worse, we would withhold from God what is rightfully His. When we do those kinds of things, we are stealing, we are robbing just so that we can have more. The spirit of the eighth commandment is captured in Jesus' words, the words we read a moment ago, when Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, Jesus said, will be added to you. You understand, all these things are the stuff we got to have. I mean, we got to have food, clothing, shelter. We got to lay up for the future. There are things we got to have, things we need to do. And Jesus says, you'll, you'll get all those things when you, when you seek first the kingdom. When we seek first the kingdom, we can actually live with contentment, with a little or a lot. When we seek first the kingdom, we will have all the things we need. I, I would just, in closing, ask you this question. Is there some place, as we reflected on this commandment together, is there some place where you've been stealing? Is there some place where, where God is nudging you or saying, you know, you need to fix this. You need to make restitution here. Or maybe you need to work harder. Or maybe you, you need to stop taking things that are not yours or stop making claims that are not true. Or you need to start putting God first in your finances so that he's actively involved in them. And, and I would just say, if there's anywhere where God is speaking to you, then listen to him. Nobody loves you more than he does. Listen to him. And if you do, you'll not only be obeying the eighth commandment, You'll find joy and you will find peace and you will find contentment and satisfaction as you make use of the resources that God gives you. Your life will be large, not little. Your life will be God-honoring. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is a challenging commandment. Every one of us in this room knows what it means to steal. We've done it sometimes in very subtle, private ways, sometimes in more public ways, God. God, forgive us. Father, help us to develop a healthy, biblical mindset around money, wealth, things, stuff, so that we make use of these things that you give us in ways that honor you, in ways that further your purposes. Grow us up, Father, to be like our Savior Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen.